<clears throat> so, I've got an older brother named Riley, and he's my best friend. And I know I'm blessed that that's the case because I know, you know, not all siblings end up being best friends or, or even friends at all, for that matter. Um, but Riley and I have not gone without our ups and downs. We've hurt each other in almost every way. I was probably the most annoying younger brother you could have ever had. Uh, there was a legend that I took his just completed favorite Lego pirate ship. And just, like, threw it on the ground. Because that's what younger brothers do, right? I mean, you can't get more awful than that. And one time, when I was being especially annoying, Riley chased me into my room, and he just started punching me indiscriminately. Just wherever he could find a piece of Nick, he would just punch. And I was just flailing all over the place on my bed, and one of his punches landed on my mouth, right there. And I had braces at the time, and so two of my braces broke off, my mouth just bleeding all over the place. I still have not seen my mom so mad. (laughs) So we haven't gone without our share of conflict, but each conflict got worked out, And I'm happy to say we're closer friends now than we've ever been. And this friendship with my brother Riley informed my wife's and my decision to try for another kid after we already had one. Because, I mean, we wanted to give Ella a best friend too. And she got Thea. And when Ella and Thea have conflicts, and they do, I tell them, Who's your best friend? And they say, Mama, Dad. I say, No, no. It's Thea. She's your best friend. This is how best friends treat each other. (laughs) And when one of them, even accidentally, hurts the other, I require them to go check on your sister. Make sure she's okay. Doesn't matter whose fault it is. You just check on her. Make sure she's okay. And that's how siblings treat each other. So that relationship illustrates how we, in the family of God, the body of Christ, the church, are to be with one another. Paul uses the word that begins our passage this morning, brothers, or brothers and sisters, ten times throughout throughout this letter. And no, it doesn't mean we all have to be best friends, but it does mean the person sitting next to you isn't going anywhere. You're going to be spending eternity with this person, whether you like it or not. And God calls us to an intimacy that only He can empower. He calls us to a life together, not alone. And the nice thing about being in the latter half and even the last chapter of a letter written by Paul, is that he usually gets super practical at the end of his letters. He spends about half of his letters kind of building his theological case, and then the second half telling us how the rubber meets the road. Because of this, what can we do now? How can we then live? 
Today's passage is no exception. What does daily life look like since we are no longer under the law, but under grace? How are we to treat one another in the midst of sin or suffering? How are we to support each other during prolonged seasons of difficulty? This morning, Paul is offering us a vision of what it looks like for spirit-empowered siblings in Christ to lean into each other's lives, even the messy parts. Today we will learn three ways that we can grow deeper in our spiritual sibling relationships with one another, especially when life gets hard. So let's read Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let, let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, which displays your character. Thank you that you are forming your character in each of us, especially as it relates to our relationships with each other. And you have staked your claim on our witness to the world being, being contingent on how we treat one another. You say that people will know we are your disciples, Jesus, by our love for one another. And so I pray that this morning, this passage would continue that process of forming your character in us, of empowering us to treat one another well, even in seasons of difficulty. <laughs> we thank you for the babies, the new life. We give, a, give you our time this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this morning we're going to walk through three ways that we can grow deeper as brothers and sisters in Christ. First, receiving the Holy Spirit is a must. Second, restoration is always the goal. And third, remaining humble, remaining humble is required. So first, receiving the Holy Spirit is a must. Look at verse 1. When it comes to handling the sins of others, who does Paul enlist? He says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You who are spiritual. That is, those who are exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit listed above in chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. He says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So, to be clear, he is enlisting those who are empowered by God's Holy Spirit and who are demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. Those are the people he taps to deal with the sins of others. Rightly engaging with the sins 
of one another is not for the faint of heart. The first step in pressing into another's lives is to recognize that you cannot do it on your own. The consequences of trying to enter the painful areas of each other's stories without the empowering of God's Spirit are dire. And Paul alludes to those consequences in verse 15 and 26 of chapter 5. In verse 15 he says, But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And then in verse 26 he says, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The first step in helping someone back onto the path of walking in the Spirit is to ensure that you are walking in the Spirit. A really practical way to do this is to make it a habit to ask God every day to fill you with His Spirit. The thing about asking God every day to fill you with His Spirit is that you begin connecting your everyday experiences with the truth that God wants to be involved in your everyday, mundane life experiences. Ask Him to lead you in the relationships that you will engage in that day. Ask Him to give you the heart that you need to appropriately engage with people who are hurting. When someone brings you a struggle, a sin, a suffering, a difficulty, as you enter that situation, be sure you're connecting with God yourself. Remember, Paul isn't giving us here a list of rules to follow to better our relationships. He is showing us, he's painting a vision how spirit-empowered people can engage with one another in a broken world. The only way to do that is by believing in Jesus and receiving the Holy Spirit. Walking alongside someone who is hurting is exhausting. It is draining. It requires energy. It requires bandwidth. You cannot do it alone. If you're not constantly being filled up, then you'll start running on empty. You'll have nothing to give. And then all of a sudden, you'll just be exhibiting the same struggles as, as the other person. You'll, you'll fall into, into just exhaustion and running on empty. Like I said, this stuff is not for the faint of heart. It's, it's only for spirit-empowered believers who are receiving from God on the daily. Now, if you're not a Christian today, I want to acknowledge that most of the practical aspects of what I'm addressing or discussing today apply to Christians. It applies to believers in Jesus. That is, those who have entrusted their lives completely to the Lordship, to, to Jesus as Lord, as Master, as I'll do whatever you want, Jesus. And therefore have received adoption into God's family. But what I do want to say to you if you're not a believer this morning is the cool thing about God's family is that there is no prerequisite other than acknowledging your need to be adopted. Acknowledging that you are a spiritual orphan in need of adoption. That's the only prerequisite to joining and being adopted into God's family. Jesus is ready to welcome you into God's family today. He's already figured out all the logistics. You only need to say yes. So first, receiving the Holy Spirit is a must. Second, restoration is always the goal. 
So Paul's segue into his description of how to do life together starts with what we should do with each other's sin. What are we to do when one of us struggles with one of the things listed in chapter 5, 19 through 21? We can review it. He says, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. What do we do when one of us falls into one of those categories? What do we do when one of us struggles with those things? Which, you know, I found myself on that list a few times. Paul offers here a balanced reaction. Firstly, notice he doesn't recommend telling the person, You do you, brother! No problem! Just And ignore the sin. He he doesn't say condone it, ignore it. But notice he doesn't suggest a harsh response either. The core goal and desire in dealing with another believer's sin is that of restoration. This is a restoration back to fellowship if the person has been isolated. This is a restoration back to joy and freedom. This is a restoration back to wholeness. Neither condoning sin nor dealing with it harshly properly conveys the heart of Jesus, which is for the person to be restored to fullness of relationship with both God and with the church family. Now, I want to acknowledge that this process is made simpler or more complex depending on our siblings' willingness to repent from the sin they are overtaken by. Repentance just means, is someone wanting to turn from? Is someone wanting to pursue and go in another direction? That's all repent means, is to turn. And without repentance, this process is more messy, more painful, more complex. And you can read Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5 to discover the process of dealing with unrepentant sin within the church. But... But our goal as siblings in Christ is always, always restoration. And this passage assumes repentance. Are you a safe person for someone to come to when they are struggling with sin? St. Augustine said, Nothing so demonstrates the spiritual man as his treatment of someone else's sin when he plans how to set him free rather than how to deride him, and how to help him rather than how to revile him. And in verse 2, Paul expands this picture from dealing with sin to that of burdens in general. He asks us to bear one another's burdens. Now, burdens... It's more than just sin. It can be anything difficult in the life of another believer. A dark season, a season of suffering, financial difficulty. A burden could be prolonged, unwanted singleness or intermittent bouts with depression. A burden could be an ongoing struggle with addiction 
or a season of financial need or housing insecurity. Burdens are just the varied weights of life that we all carry to some degree at some point. We are called to draw near to one another and help shoulder those burdens. We're not just called to gently call each other out on our sins. We're called to do life together. And if we're called to bear one another's burdens, we need the strength, energy, and compassion to do so. That's why it's so important to be continuously filled with the Spirit. And this is also what it looks like to be continuously filled with the Spirit. You end up with the bandwidth you need. And when we do this, Paul says we fulfill the law of Christ there in verse 2. We fulfill the law of Christ. Wait. Paul has just spent five chapters trying to get the, the Galatians to distance themselves from the law. And now Paul highlights another law? What is going on? Now Jesus said that he did not come, what he said is, he did not come to abolish the law, but what? To fulfill it. And looking back one chapter, we sort of get an echo from the previous chapter. In verse 14 of chapter 5, Paul says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now this verse, it's from Leviticus, is the same verse Jesus said is the second greatest commandment. Second only to loving God with one's entire heart, soul, mind, and strength. On those two commands, Jesus said, hangs all the law and the prophets. More than that, Jesus actually gave us what he called a new commandment. In John 13 and 15, he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. The law of Christ differs from the law of Moses. Because it takes Christ into account. Jesus both fulfilled the law of Moses on our behalf and by his spirit empowers us to fulfill his own law to love. Just like our catechism this morning, we don't read the command to love under condemnation that we haven't done it or despair that we can't do it. The difference is that we are now equipped and empowered to actually do it. We can now read Jesus' command to love with thankfulness that he has already loved us. And with the anticipation that he will help us grow in our aptitude for loving others. And when we screw up, which we will do, we are not going to be crushed. Because he was already crushed. He already bore in his body our sins on the tree, as Peter says. And this is what Paul is talking about when back in chapter 5, 13, he said, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We now have the freedom to draw near and serve one another. 
We have freedom to love one another. We have the freedom to bear one another's burdens. Walking in the footsteps of Jesus who bore our burdens. And Jesus did it to restore us to a relationship with God. And we can do it to restore our hurting brothers and sisters to fellowship and joy. So second, restoration is always the goal. Now third, and this is, this is what Paul spends most of his time on. Remaining humble is required. Leaning in to other human beings is risky business. Paul understands this, and he spends the majority of the rest of our passage dealing with the dangers of getting messy with one another. Firstly, in verse 1, he says, Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. He recommends that we be careful in handling the sins of others because we are also at risk of being overcome by the same thing. We need to remember that we are equally susceptible to falling prey to sin or faltering under the weight of our own burdens. We are called to view our brothers and sisters from a place of self-awareness, of our own weakness, and of humility. Dehumanizing those who screw up or got themselves into this mess does not become the sibling in Christ. You're more like them than you're not. We can say with Augustine, there is no sin which any man hath done, but another man may do the same. And with John Bradford, there but for the grace of God go I. And Jesus said, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, Jesus says. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, whether the log is that you struggle with the same sin as they do, or that you're full of pride for not struggling in the same way that they do. The end result is the same. You can't see clearly. And you definitely can't see clearly enough to get yourself involved with another person's brokenness. Before we get involved, we need a proper self-assessment of our own brokenness. Now, another danger that Paul addresses here in verses 3 through 5 is an interesting one. He says in verse 3, For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. In verse 4. But let each test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Another danger that Paul addresses here is comparison between believers. As we bear one another's burdens, as we press in during difficult seasons of sin and consequence, of long seasons of suffering, of trial, a poisonous possibility is that we start to think of ourselves as better than those we are helping. When this happens, 
We can build up a framework of relative righteousness. We can start to feel better about ourselves because we aren't as bad as them. That we are are holding it together while they're not. And all of a sudden, our good deed of bearing another's burden becomes a project that we're working on. Only to further our our own self-deception of righteousness. The byproduct of, and what some of us may have experienced, is, is in a difficult time of your life, being treated like a project. No one wants to feel like a project. When we get our satisfaction from being better than someone else, we are either going to be puffed up with pride or cast down with despair because our good standing is relative to someone else's badness or goodness. Even our very brother or sister in Christ. It is imperative that we remember this. We are not building righteousness. We've been gifted righteousness. The righteousness that we have cannot be changed or or tainted. It's Jesus' righteousness. And so we need not worry or, or compare ourselves with one another. God has given each person a lot, like Paul says later, a load to carry. That's why in Paul, uh, Paul in verse 4 goes straight to boasting. And another word for boast here is glory. We are not to glory in what we are relative to anyone else. We can and should glory in what Christ has done in us and is doing in us. But we don't boast in how much Christ has done in us relative to our brother or sister. Now, this keeps us from getting caught up with comparison. Because when we start comparing ourselves, that's when we go down this spiral. We are not to treat people like projects because we will each stand before God alone in the last judgment. And we will each give an account of what we did with what God gave us. God will not judge us or reward us on the basis of how much better we were than anyone else. Now here Paul is striking a balance. He's striking a balance between our individual responsibility toward one another and our individual accountability ultimately before God. We are to bear one another's burdens. And we will each have to bear our own load. Your load is not their load. But part of your load is to bear their burdens. But knowing that we each will ultimately stand before God can keep us from comparing ourselves. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases these couple of verses in the message. He says, Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given. And then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. We are called to press into our God-given sibling relationships. We are even called to gently deal with each other's sins. We are in this together. 
And we are to show it by bearing each other's burdens. Like this, is, this is not an easy, checklisty task. This requires gentleness. This requires self-awareness. It requires humility. And thankfully, God has provided His Spirit so that we can do it. Remember, this isn't just a, a checklist. This is a vision. It's a picture. It's, it's what God is doing and wants to do in us through His Spirit. And it can be helpful to meditate on, on exactly how He wants us to go about leaning in. When someone invites you into their pain, that is an honor. And we do not take that lightly. But we also don't go it alone. We need God. We need His Spirit. We need to be being filled up so that when we're in those seasons of walking with someone, of bearing burdens with someone, of of comforting someone, of restoring someone from from struggle, from sin, from, from a dark season, you name it. That needs to drive us to our knees. Praise God that He is of the character that He wants to form people who can do this. And we can just continue to press in. Let's pray. God, thank You for who You are and just the character that You want to form in us. Lord, help us to be dependent on You. Help us to know our own need for You so that we're ready to to bear the needs of others. Lord, help us not to get get involved in comparing ourselves, of, of being harsh with one another. Lord, help us to love each other. And love doesn't mean ignoring or or saying, you do you, man. But it does mean gentleness. It means exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, which starts with love. Lord, please empower us by your Spirit to do this, to lean into each other. And thank you that, that you want it. That you, you have all we need to do this. Help us as we go from this place today in doing that. In Jesus' name, amen.